Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you P.D. James's The Skull Beneath the Skin, where private detective Cordelia Gray is invited to the sunlit island of Corsi to protect the vainly beautiful actress Clarissa Lyle from veiled threats on her life. Within the rose-red walls of the fairy tale castle, she finds the stage set for death. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Miss Gray. Good morning. Well, it looks as if we're going to be lucky in the weather. Yes. The guests should arrive in sunshine and get back without risk of parting with their supper. The crossing can be quite treacherous in bad weather. Um, will you have coffee? Thank you. And is our leading lady awake? Not yet, and I'm rather pleased she isn't. Look, I found this pushed under Clarissa's door this morning. The great messenger of mortality. Somewhat melodramatic. Is the woodcut yours? If so, someone has mutilated it for you. Look on the back. Oh, dear me. Thus it lightens into action. I am come to kill thee. Lines from the Duchess. Mm. So the messages are still coming, I did wonder. I take it that weeding out this kind of nuisance is one of your duties. One of them. So, is it yours? It no. looks old and valuable. No, it's uh, it's interesting, but not my period. Mr. Gorringe, this is your house. Miss Lyle is your guest. I accept the implied rebuke. One's guests certainly have the right not to be menaced while under one's roof, but what would you have me do? I'm not a policeman. I can hardly interrogate my other guests. Besides, is it any more than a practical joke in poor taste? Surely the best response is a dignified silence. Clarissa should demonstrate a total unconcern. And that's what she will do, at least until after the play. She won't see this. I can trust you not to tell her. Of course. I have a strong interest in Clarissa's success, remember. Mm. Incidentally, that woodcut belongs to Roma. Roma? How do you know? She told me she found it in a second-hand book and thought I might be interested. She showed it to me yesterday, just before the rehearsal, and I left it on the blotter on my desk in the business room. Where anyone could have seen and taken it. You sound like a detective. <sighs> no doubt you'll be interested to know that the message was probably typed on the business room machine. Well, I can check that at least. Yeah, oh, before you go, something else has occurred. Rather more annoying than a poison pen letter. Oh. Someone has broken the lock of the display cabinet and taken the marble arm. If, during your duties as secretary companion, you should happen to learn who it is, I'd be grateful if you'd suggest that it's returned. Mm. I admit the marble's not to everyone's taste, but I have a fondness for it. When did you notice it had gone? Well, Monta tells me it was in the display case when he locked up last night, and that was at ten minutes past midnight. I found it missing and the lock forced when I went to the kitchen to make tea at seven this morning. What are you going to do? Nothing. 
at least until after the play. I think it vital that Clarissa doesn't know. The least thing could upset her. We'll just have to hope no one else notices it's missing. And if they do, I suppose I can say I've removed it to please Clarissa. It's humiliating to have to lie, but if you think it's important... I do, very. Good morning, Ambrose. Any breakfast? George, my dear fellow. Of course. But where did you spring from? Got through my meeting late yesterday. Drove most of the night and slept in a lay-by. Thought Clarissa would like me to put in an appearance if I could make it. Good morning, Miss Gray. Sir George. Don't suppose Clarissa's up yet? Uh, not yet. But how did you get to the island? I didn't hear a launch. Found a couple of early fishermen. I've been on the island for a couple of hours. Didn't like to disturb you. Yes, I will have coffee. Oh. Ooh, what sort of a day? Looks as if it'll be fine. Ah. Your husband's just arrived. Apparently his meeting ended sooner than expected. George? But that's ridiculous. He isn't expected till late tonight. Well, he's here. Oh. Tug on that bell rope, will you? It's time Tolly brought in my tea. I wondered whether you'll still be wanting me. Well, of course I'll still want you. What possible difference does this make? You know what you're here to do. If someone's out to get me, they aren't going to stop because George has arrived. Before Miss Tolgarth gets here, could you tell me the programme for today? Don't you know? I thought I'd explained it. The curtain's due to rise at 3.30. Ambrose is arranging an early lunch about midday, and I shall rest up here alone from one o'clock. Mm. You can call me at exactly 2.45. Mm -hmm. The launch from Spamouth will be bringing the cast at about 2.30, and there's a larger hired launch for the guests. That'll be arriving at about 3.00. And this morning, what's planned for the three hours between breakfast and lunch? I think we should try to stay together. We shall all stay together. Ambrose will be hosting a sightseeing trip to see the skulls of Corsi. The skulls of Corsi? Do you mean real skulls? Oh, they're real enough. In the crypt of the church. Ambrose will recite the famous legend. That should put us all nicely in the mood for the horrors of Amalfi. More like a Turkish bath than a church. I'm sorry, Gorin, but I can't admire it. Who did you say the architect was? George Frederick Bodley. And I'm sorry you don't like it. Um, the paintings on the rear doss are by Lord Leighton. Oh. And the glass is by William Morris's firm. They specialised in these lighter hues. The east window is considered rather fine. I don't see how anyone could actually pray in this place. Oh, is that the war memorial? Well, the wreaths appear to have been in place some little time by the look of them. And there'll be fresh ones on November the 11th. Munter makes them from our own laurels and hangs one up each year. Oh, yeah, well, his father was killed in the war. In the Navy, I think. Anyway, he was drowned. He told me that much. And do you assist with this charade? No, he hasn't asked me. It's a purely private ceremony. I'm not sure I'm even supposed to know that it happens. It throws a new light on Munter, though. Who would suspect him of that streak of romanticism? But it's all a bit pointless, isn't it? No one seems to know any longer what Remembrance Day is supposed to be for. It's for remembering the good chaps who gave their lives fighting for us. Once a year for two minutes, you wouldn't think that was too much to ask. Indeed. At our last parade, the Padre delivered a sermon about the Third World, for heaven's sake. <laughs> I suppose he thought world peace was relevant. Armistice Day isn't to do with peace, it's to do with war and remembering one's dead. 
nation that can't remember its dead will soon cease to be worth dying for. Very but true. you can't... And what's so peaceful about the third world, anyway? Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll follow me, I'll lead the way down to the crypt where we keep our skulls. This way... Of course, I've seen all this before. It still sends shivers down my spine. Oh, this part is Norman, isn't it? Quite right, Ivo. We're in the original structure down here. Now, are we all assembled? I'll put on the electric light now. Oh, good grief. oh, my God! Who on earth were all these people? Generations of Corsi folk. Oh, but to pack all these skulls together, row after row of them, it's obscene. But practical, Miss Lyle, you must admit, the optimum use of available space. Oh, hundreds of grinning skeletons. Mm. Deliciously horrific, don't you think? It's like a nightmare. And all wedged tightly together. Isn't that cement? Some of them have been cemented together. How observant, Miss Gray. Yes, that was found necessary some years ago when the skulls on the bottom rows began to crumble under the weight. Uh, who gathered all these skulls together? My revered forebear, Herbert Gorringe, in the 1860s, soon after he bought the place. The story goes that all the inhabitants of Corsi Island were wiped out in the 17th century. Hmm. Apparently... The de Corsi at that time had taken to exercising his droit de seigneur a little too freely. <laughs> Local maidens from the mainland abducted, oh, raped, no. and their tortured, mutilated bodies brought in on the tide days or weeks later. No one dared to do anything. Then came the bubonic plague. It raged particularly fiercely on this coast, but the island was safe, till one day the father of one of de Corsi's victims, knowing he was infected, launched his boat and set sail for the island. The de Corsis and their court were at dinner when the door to the great hall opened and he appeared, his huge, shambling, sea-drenched figure stumbling towards his enemy. There was a moment of astonished silence, and in that moment, he reached the Lord, flung his great arms around him, and kissed him full on the mouth. And the plan worked. De Corsi and all his people were wiped out. Well, that story would make an opera. All you need is a Verdi or perhaps a Benjamin Britten. And when great-uncle Herbert began planting his pleasure garden, he kept turning up skeletons. So his men collected the skulls and arranged them here. <laughs> Darling, your island's a positive repository of horrors. <laughs> There's something much closer in time, isn't there? Tell us about the devil's kettle. No. Oh. Well, that story is rather beastly. Oh, darling, don't be so stuffy. It's 40 years old at least. And I know about it anyway, but I want to see where it happened. And I've got a personal interest. George was here on the island at the time, weren't you, darling? Did you know that George was here? Yes, I know. Whatever it is, you may as well show us. Clarissa won't give you any peace until you do. Right. It can hardly be worse than this place. <sighs> well... 
if you insist. We have to go down even further than we are, though, and uh, to do that, I must unlock this door. We keep the key here. It's, uh, it's a bit stiff. Uh, now, this way, two abreast only, please, and stick together. Watch your footing on these steps. They're rather slippery. They're worn right down. They were used daily for hundreds of years. No, it's all right. Don't, don't, don't panic anybody. No, I, I'd forgotten that the lights are on at times, which I'll, I'll find a button in a second. There. I wish you'd warn us before playing silly tricks. No trick, I assure you, and it won't happen again. We must be 40 feet below ground. How is it ventilated? Uh, by shafts. One of them comes up into the concrete bunker they built in the wall to guard the southern approach to the island. There are several others. Right, now, everybody, gather round. This trapdoor leads down directly to the Devil's Kettle. Mm -hmm. Now, just draw back the bolts and open it, and you'll be able to see. How do you get down into the cave? There's an iron ladder fixed to the shaft. See? The other side. Oh. Runs down the wall. Oh, yes. Now, tell. It happened in 1940. The island was taken over by the government as a camp and interrogation centre. Foreign nationals, suspected spies, Nazi sympathisers, you know, the sort of thing. That's when you were stationed here, wasn't it, George? Right. In March 1940, there were about 50 internees on the Corsi, among them a hard core of dedicated Nazis. They suspected one of their group, a boy of 22, of having betrayed their organisation to the British during interrogation. Perhaps he had. Or perhaps he was a British undercover agent, I don't know. What is beyond dispute is that the Nazis convened a secret court in the crypt of the church and condemned him to death. They brought him, bound and gagged, down that passageway to this spot. They pulled open the trap door. Look down. At the moment, the water level's about ten feet below us. That's because the tide's on the turn. At high tide, the cave is always flooded. Every one of those iron rungs is covered. They bound their victim to the ladder and they left him there to drown. He was a very tall young man. He died slowly in the darkness. And he died hard. Later, one of them crept back to untie him and let his body float out to sea. Not the pleasantest way to die. How did the story get out? Someone talked eventually, I suppose, but not until after the war. Someone may have condoned what happened. After all, the army was in charge here, yet the internees got their hands on the keys to the crypt and the secret passage. And that suggests at least a degree of official carelessness. What was he called, darling, the boy who died? His name was Carl Blythe. Oh, yes, Blythe. And the extraordinary thing is that he was English. Well, his father was, anyway. His mother was German. 
And George was actually at school with him, weren't you, darling? They were at Melhurst together. Do they still remember him, I wonder, Simon? But you didn't like him, did you, George? He was three years older than you, and a bully. In fact, you hated him. And then to find this here, and at your mercy, wasn't it odd? Can we get out of here? I feel like a voyeur. Yes, I feel cold. My wife has satisfied her curiosity. Perhaps we might go. Poor Ralston. An instructive episode, don't you think? I thought it was horrible. Does she always need to psych herself up with an exhibition of cruelty before a performance? She's nervous, certainly. Ralston's control, however, is admirable. It'll be interesting to see what happens if the control ever snaps. Mm. Well, uh... I think I'll go for a swim. But not so soon after lunch, Simon, darling. Take a walk first. All right. See you all later at the theatre. Bye-bye. Time to rest. Coffee? Thank you. No, Ambrose. Not before a performance. I thought you knew that. Will you ask Tolly to bring up the tea tray at once? China tea. She knows the sort I have. George, will you come up in five minutes? I'll see you later, Cordelia. Better right. make it ten past one. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Clarissa, uh, just a moment. I've something to ask you. Come in, Cordelia. Uh, lady. Uh, hold on for a moment. Would you sit down? Can you imagine it, George? Twenty-five thousand. That's what she asked for. Came right out with it, red-faced like a child begging for more pocket money. Now of all time, she couldn't even wait till after the performance. I haven't got any money. I'm an actress. Mm. Talk about crass stupidity. Important to her, I expect. <sighs> couldn't bear the suspense of waiting. Had to know. Oh, she never did have any sense of timing, not even as a child. Trust Roma to pick the wrong moment. Part of her general insensitivity. By God, she chose the wrong moment this time. Would there have been a right one? I told her outright. I'm not prepared to hand over capital to support a lover who hasn't the guts or decency to come and ask for it himself. And I threw in some damn sound advice for good measure. If you have to buy yourself a man, he's not worth having. She's madly in love with him, of course. That's what this shop of theirs is all about, a ploy to get him away from his wife. Roman love, I ask you. My dear, is all that our concern? Money's my concern. Apart from anything else, they haven't a hope in hell of making a go of it. No capital, no experience, no sense. Why should I throw good money after bad? As you say. Cordelia, go and get yourself dressed. Oh, right. Then lock your door and come out this way. I don't want you fussing about next door while I'm resting. Mm-hmm. I suppose you'll be wearing that Indian thing again. Well... It shouldn't take long to get into. None of my clothes take long to get into. Nor to get out of, I dare say. Oh, Clarissa. Nah. <laughs> Dear George, always so gallant. I wondered whether you'd like me to stay next door while you rest. The connecting door could be open or locked as you like. I wouldn't make any noise. I've told you I don't want you next door or anywhere near me for that matter. Ah. I can't speak verse when I know someone's listening. And I might want to. With the three doors locked and no telephone, I suppose I can hope to be left in peace. Now do go and change. Collect anything you want from your room. Very well. I won't be a moment. And don't rely on being able to watch out front. I may want you backstage. All right. Uh, Well, I'll be off now. I I won't come back before the performance. I'll I'll see you backstage after. Goodbye, George. Cordelia, 
I'm setting the alarm for 2.45. You can come back about then, and I'll let you know if there's anything I want you to do during the performance. Fine. Well, I'm ready. I've locked my door and left the key in. I want to check that. Then I'll lock the communicating door myself. Very well. But if you want me, I'll be within calling distance. I can always get a chair from my room and sit at the end of the corridor with a book. Can't you understand English? What are you trying to do, spy on me? No, I... I told you I don't want you next door. And I don't want you pussyfooting up and down the corridor. I don't want you or anyone near me. What I want now is to be left in peace. Then will you at least roll up one of your towels and wedge it against the door? I, I don't want anyone delivering notes to you by hand. What do you mean? Nothing has happened since I arrived. Nothing. And I just want to make sure it stays that way. All right. It's not a bad idea. I'll I'll block the bottom of the door. Right. I'm going. Please lock the door behind me. I'll wait outside till I'm sure. Goodbye, Cordelia. Yes. Well, goodbye. Oh. unlock the door. Are you up already? It's quarter to three. Lady Ro- Oh, no. Oh, my God! Oh! oh Mr. Sir George! Oh, oh my God! It's Lady Ralston. Stop that bloody clock. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I can't see a damn thing. What's happened? Draw the curtains. Yes. I'm afraid... It looks as though... I'm sorry. Merciful heaven. I'm so sorry. You you employed me to look after her. I, I was here to keep her safe. I, I should have stayed with her. You couldn't have known. It's her face. It's, someone has destroyed her face. And there's what did it. The baby's arm. Oh, those little marble fingers. Covered with blood. Oh. Dripping with blood. Don't touch it! But look. Look, underneath, isn't isn't that... It is. Another message. The blood, I, I, I can't quite... Other sins only speak. Murder shrieks out. The element of water moistens the earth, but blood flies upwards and bedews the heavens. Horrible, horrible. Oh, I should never have left her. I didn't believe she was in any danger. No one did. And she wouldn't have let you stay with her, you or anyone. Don't blame yourself. Oh, but I knew the marble had been taken. I I should have warned her. Against what? You couldn't have expected this. Don't blame yourself, Cordelia. God, and you better ring the police at once. Yes. We mustn't touch anything. Both these rooms must be locked... And isn't the audience on the way by launch? We'd better prevent them from landing. And I'll organise a search party. Well, mightn't it be better to wait for the police? I'm not prepared to wait. Where's Oldfield? In his cottage, I imagine. Um, The the stable. I'll get him to take out the launch and patrol the channel. That'll block any escape by sea. I think we'd better leave the room and lock the door till the police come. Quite right. Come along, Gary. Yes, yes. I'll find Oldfield. You ring the police. Yes, yes. What's up, sir? 
Where's Miss Lyle? It's nearly three o'clock. Excuse me, Tommy. It's late. You're supposed to have called her. You can't go in. She's dead. She's been murdered. I have to go in. She always needs me before a performance. No, no, there's not going to be a performance. Miss Lyle is dead. Murdered. I'm just about to ring the police. Until they arrive, no one can go into that room. The boy? Does the boy know? Simon? No, not yet. No one knows except Sir George. We've only just discovered the body. You'll break it gently, sir. It'll be a shock to him. It's a shock for us all. Not, I think, sir, for one of us. If you'll excuse me. <sighs> I've never understood that woman. I doubt whether Clarissa did. Why this sudden concern for Simon? She's never shown any particular interest in the boy. Oh, well. I'd better get on with telephoning the police. But um, who should I ring? The chief constable? The CID? Why well, should ring the Spamous police and leave it to them? Hmm. I'll do it from my office. Spamouth Police. I'm speaking from Corsi Island, from the castle. It's uh, Ambrose Gorringe. I'm afraid there's been a terrible accident over here. Um, no, that's not right. A murder. Yes, I'm quite sure. Lady Ralston. Miss Clarissa Lyle, the actress. Well, we had a performance planned for the theatre this afternoon. Miss Lyle was taking the lead. and She was staying here with friends. We found her a few minutes ago in her bedroom. No, no, it's clearly murder. I won't go into details if you don't mind, but it's very messy. Oh, and I noticed that her jewel box is missing. Right. Yes, we've locked the room. You're very well, thank you. Yes. Goodbye. What did they say? Much as expected. Lock the room, don't touch anything, keep people together, don't let anyone land. And they're sending over a senior police officer, Chief Inspector Grogan. Will you all come on stage, please? Now, quiet, 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 please, everybody. I'm, I'm afraid I have some... Some very shocking news for you. I don't know quite how to put it, except to say that Clarissa Lyle is dead. Oh. And there's worse, I'm afraid. As Miss Gray here, her secretary, can confirm, it looks very much like murder. I've, I've, I've telephoned the police, and they'll be here shortly. In the meantime... They've asked that you all stay together here in the theatre. Now, Munter and his wife will bring you tea and coffee and anything else you need. Miss Gray and I still have to inform my other house guests of this appalling news. But what about the play? The performance is cancelled. Where do you suppose they all are? Well, I imagine Simon is swimming. He said he was going to. Roma Lyle was in the library, but she's probably dressing by now. I imagine Ivor Whittingham is resting in his room. He's been looking none too well. I'll see them, will you, and break the news? Oh. I'll go and find Simon. Then uh, we'd better keep together until the police arrive. And I suppose the courteous thing would be to stay with my guests in the theatre, but I'm not in the mood to face a barrage of questions. The less they're told for the moment, the better. And you mean we should keep quiet about the actual cause of death? 
We don't know the actual cause of death, but yes, I think we should say as little as possible to anyone. But surely it's obvious her face was battered in. That may have been done after the death. There was less blood than you'd expect. Well, there was more than enough blood for me. You're remarkably knowledgeable about this sort of thing for a secretary companion. I'm quite sure you've already guessed I'm no such thing. I'm a private detective. There's no point carrying on the charade any longer. And if you're going to say I've been useless, I know that too. Oh, my dear Cordelia, what more could you have done? No one could have expected murder. Stop blaming yourself. Mm. Lugubrious self-reproach doesn't suit you. Where is everyone? This place is like a morgue. Anyway, I, I'm not coming to the play. I'm damned if I'll pander any longer to Clarissa's megalomania. You all indulge her nonsense as if you're terrified of her. Uh, Someone should put a stop to Clarissa. Someone has. She's dead. Murdered. My God! What happened? How? I really think that... that, that I insist that you tell me. Very well. She was battered to death with that marble limb of the dead princess. I'd rather you kept the details from Simon. Her face was smashed to a pulp. The killer took your marble? But how did he know it was there? He, or she, took it from the display cabinet sometime early this morning, and I'm afraid that the police will take the view that whoever it was knew it was there, because yesterday, before luncheon, I myself showed it to them. In part one of The Skull Beneath the Skin by P.D. James, dramatised by Neville Teller, Greta Skaki played Cordelia, John Moffat, Ambrose, Norman Rodway, Whittingham, Carolyn Blakiston, Clarissa, Richard Vernon, General Ralston, Patricia Garwood, Roma, Richard Pierce, Simon, Christopher Scott, Colin, Avril Clark, Tolly, John Bull, Sir James, John Warner, Gaskin, Anna Cropper, Mrs. Munter, and Marcia King, Miss Maudsley. The pianist was Geoffrey Braun. The Skull Beneath the Skin is directed by Matthew Walters. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening.